Thank you all for being with us this morning. We are so glad that you have come to join us here at Ivy Creek uh, today. Those of you, as Pastor Ted, those of you who are worshiping with us in this house and those of you who are worshiping from your house or wherever you may be this morning, we are glad that you have joined us today and excited that, uh, to hear what God is going to do uh, in our midst this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them and turn with me once again to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. As we continue in the sermon series we began last week, uh, Advent Christmas series entitled Getting Ready for Christmas. Now, when I say getting ready for Christmas, uh, as I said last week, I'm not talking, are you, do you have your tree up and do you have your decorations up and you have all your, you have all your cakes baked and your pies out? And the, all that's important, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting our hearts ready for Christmas, preparing our hearts for the, the worship of, of Christ at this time of year in which we celebrate His birth. And so the question is, how do we get our hearts ready for that? How do we prepare our hearts for Christmas? And, and, and in a very real sense, what I believe that we have to do in order to get ourselves ready for that is we have to consider who Jesus is, who, who He is in His essence. And we have to then move from that and say, well, so what does that mean? How does, how does who Jesus is affect me? How does it affect the world? But how does it affect me personally? And I think as we wrestle with that and as we contemplate that, we truly come to prepare our hearts and get ourselves ready for the celebration that is Christmas. And I believe that our passage this morning is going to aid us greatly in being able to do that. I'm excited about our study this morning. I'm excited about what, what we're going to read about, and I hope that you are as well. So if you've got your Bibles open there, I'm going to begin by reading down in verse 26, all the way down through verse 56 of Luke chapter 1. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful passage that you're well familiar with, but it's, let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts this morning by hearing the Word of God. The Bible says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your, rel your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary 
that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has sworn, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts and he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty and he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and he, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. For the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful passage with such rich uh, language and, and thoughts and images. We're grateful for how it reminds us of just what your grace and mercy does in our lives, how it just comes in. And, and Lord, it is just, it, it's it's so tangible and sometimes, and sometimes it seems like it's so far off, and yet we know that it is making headway in our lives each and every day. It's making headway in the lives of our church. Lord, we, we find ourselves in, in some crazy times right now, and yet we still continue to see your Holy Spirit, the work of grace and mercy in the lives of people doing, doing wonderful things. Holy is your name, and we, we ascribe to you all the glory and the worship that you alone are worthy of this morning, and we thank you for what you've done and for what you continue to do. And we ask you to work in our hearts this day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as you may be able to tell from the, the title of the sermon this morning, uh, really, I think this passage sort of breaks down into two really big headings, and the first one is is this the birth announcement that Gabriel uh, gives to, to uh, Mary there uh, when she is there in Nazareth. And then the second part really is Mary's response to that birth announcement, a response that ultimately leads her into a song of praise. And so that's going to kind of give us that understanding this morning. I want us to begin with Gabriel's uh, announcement uh, that he gives to Mary there, his second birth announcement that Luke tells us about. And, and, and to help us think clearly about it this morning, I've chosen to borrow some of his words, some of Gabriel's words from down in verse 37. And so the first point, the first heading that I want to give you that sort of will direct our thoughts today is this. With the God of the virgin birth, nothing is impossible. With the God of the virgin birth, nothing is impossible. Now, as you'll remember last week, we looked at, at Gabriel's first birth announcement. That was the one given to Zacharias, who was the priest uh, he, the, the priest who had been tapped for his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the holy place and offer incense on the altar. And, and Luke goes on to tell us that, that, 
that the Gabriel came and, and spoke to, to Zacharias in the process of fulfilling that once-in-a-lifetime obligation and, and opportunity. And then we read, though, here that a few months later, the angel Gabriel is tapped to go not to Jerusalem, but to some backwater town about 65 miles north of Jerusalem uh, in the area of, of Galilee into a town of Nazareth. And, and he's going there to deliver his second birth announcement of this, of this chapter. Now, based upon what we know of both of these birth announcements, I think it's appropriate that we kind of compare and contrast them. The first thing you'll notice is that, that Gabriel gave his first birth announcement to the father of the child in a prominent location there in Jerusalem. But the second birth announcement was given to the mother of the child in a real nondescript area of, of Israel up in the northern part of Galilee. But that notwithstanding, there are still a number of similarities between these two announcements. I want to highlight them for you. Uh, notice that, that both birth announcements announce what would, could only be described as miraculous conceptions. Remember, Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth, was, was old and she was barren. There is no way to describe the fact that she would come to be with child except to recognize that it was a miraculous conception that she experiences. But also notice that, that Mary's conception was certainly miraculous because as verse 27 tells us, she was a virgin. So, so both announcements, both that, that the angel Gabriel gives, describe miraculous conceptions. Both announcements involve fear. If you'll notice verse 13 and verse 30, both times Gabriel tells those to whom he speaks, look, do not be afraid. He calms their fear. Both, obviously he was, he was an imposing figure who elicited fear from those to whom he spoke. You'll also notice that in both announcements, the angel gave the name that the, the baby boy was to be, to be named. He, he told Zacharias, you are to name your son John. He told Mary, his name will be called Jesus. You'll also see that following that naming, that, that the angel Gabriel gives the mission that each child would have as they grew and as they lived out their life on earth. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but he gave them the name, he gave them the mission that they would engage in. And then finally, notice that both announcements were met with questions. Zacharias, as we looked at last week, expressed disbelief and doubt at the words of the angel, and he asked for proof that what Gabriel had said to him was true. Mary, on the other hand, she does not express doubt, but she does wonder how, being that I am, I am a virgin, being I am one who's never been with a man, how is it that I am going to conceive and bear a son? So these are some of the obvious similarities that exist between these two birth announcements that we read about here in Luke chapter 1. But I believe that actually Luke gives us these similarities not to, to, to bring those two together as much as it is to divide them and show us the differences that are there. It's actually in the differences that Luke communicates something very important to us. These necessary differences between these two birth announcements actually drive us to the all-surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, we talked about miraculous conceptions, and this is true. John was, was born to an old woman who was barren. That's truly miraculous, but Jesus was born to a virgin. The truth of the matter is that though both are miracles, John's, John's conception came by virtue of natural uh, conception, the way that all of us were conceived. Jesus came by a supernatural conception, Jesus' miraculous conception far greater 
than John's. Furthermore, notice that that though Gabriel declares that John will be great in the sight of the Lord, he declares that Jesus will be great, but he doesn't add any qualifying statement. He just says, Jesus will be great. In fact, he goes on to say, he is the son of the highest. Down in verse 35, he says he is the son of God. Notice also that Gabriel declares that John's mission will be to to one of preparatory work. He says he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. His mission was to be to go before Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was to make ready a people who was prepared for the Lord. In other words, John's, John's ministry was a preliminary one that was looking forward to someone else who was coming behind him. But with the mission that, that the angel Gabriel announced to Mary, we see that Jesus is the one to whom John would point. He tells Mary in verses 32 and 33, he says, The Lord God will give Jesus the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There is a divine nature to who Jesus is going to come and be, and there's an eternal nature to his kingdom. This is what Gabriel points us to. I think it's also worth noting that Gabriel says of John back in verse 15, he says, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in answering Mary's question regarding how she will conceive, being that she is a virgin, the angel declares in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Here's what we we know clearly. John would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Everything that Gabriel tells us that points us to the difference points us to the all-surpassing greatness, the far superior nature of Jesus. And really, it's more than any other that I think that distinction confronts us with that all-surpassing greatness of Jesus. You see, Donald McLeod has put it this way. He says, Mary's pregnancy is an act of divine grace, explicable not in terms of human insemination, but in terms of the creative power of the Holy Spirit. This is why the Scriptures testify to us that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. His conception by the Spirit points to His deity. His birth through natural processes of a woman points us to His humanity. The Lord Jesus is one person with two natures. He is is divine and He is human. Fully God, fully man. And listen, the simple analyzation of these two birth announcements tell us that that John and Jesus were not the same. They they had similar announcements of their birth, but they were very, very different. And in their differences, we recognize is the reason why we worship and why we adore and why we declare the majesty of the Lord Jesus, who is uniquely able to lay His hand upon humanity and also lay His hand upon the Godhead at the same time. There is no one else who ever could do such. He is fully human. He is fully God. And as such, He is the one who has come to fix the problem that you and I find ourselves in. You see, here's the point. As one has written, fallen humanity could not produce its own Savior. He had to come from somewhere outside by way of divine initiative and by way of divine intervention. Therefore, God sent Jesus into the world as the perfect Son of God, 
born without sin. You and I would have no hope had Jesus not come and been able to lay His hand on us and had He not been able to lay His hand on the God. Another has put it this way. He says, because Christ is fully God and fully man, He is the perfect Savior. He had to be God to supply the righteousness that humans could not achieve. And He had to be man to supply to God the sacrifice that we owe. So He became the only mediator between God and man, the the God-man, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And thus... The only way for human beings to come to God is through Him. Listen, this simple announcement of the angel Gabriel to this this peasant virgin girl in the town of Nazareth is absolutely important to you and to me. In order to prepare our hearts properly for the celebration of the birth of our of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we need to truly contemplate what it means that Jesus came to be both God and man and how His coming that way, what it does for us, what it opens up for us. And the first thing that it means is that apart from Christ as humans, we are lost and we are undone. We cannot save ourselves, but because Christ has come, He has made a way so that we can be saved from the guilt of our sin, and from the power that sin has over our lives. What we also come to understand is that with God, nothing is impossible. You see, He's the God of the virgin birth. If God can, if God can do that, then there's nothing that He cannot do. Philip Graham Rackin has put it this way. He says, what that means is that there's no sin that he cannot forgive. There's no relationship that he cannot reconcile. There's no problem that he cannot resolve. No need he cannot meet. No ministry he cannot bless. No grief he cannot comfort. No life he cannot reclaim. No sinner he cannot save. Listen, the God of the virgin birth makes all things possible question is, do you believe that? The question is, is that your conviction? Are you convinced that the God of the virgin birth, with Him, nothing is impossible? I hope that you believe that. As as with Mary, so it is with us. We must come to that realization and to that conviction before we're truly ready for Christmas. You can't be truly ready for Christmas unless you have come to grips with that God. Now, the announcement that that Gabriel gave to Mary was, I think all of us could say, that was fantastic news. It was amazing news. It was astounding news. It was life-changing news. But as it is often with amazing and astounding and life-changing news, that can sometimes produce anxiety within us. In fact, notice the next point on your outline today. This is what I would, as we look at the response of of Mary, the first thing that I would say is this, is the grace that God gives can appear inconvenient. The grace that God gives can appear inconvenient. For just a moment, I want us to think about how this second birth announcement that Luke describes the angel Gabriel giving here, how that would have impacted Mary. I mean, consider the fact she was young, she was poor, she was, she was a peasant who was likely uneducated. Um, 
She lived in a small country town far away from, from the center of power in Jerusalem. Kent Hughes calls her a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Humanly speaking, Mary was insignificant and she was likely the most unlikely person to find herself in the presence of an angel. And yet Gabriel comes to her and notice the very first words out of his mouth. He comes to her and he says, rejoice. Rejoice. Be filled with joy. Why? He tells her that she's highly favored. He tells her that the Lord is with her. That she's blessed among women. And the rest of his announcement goes on to tell her why that's the case, that, that her blessing and her joy would be tied to the fact that she would become pregnant in a very miraculous way. I want you just to imagine though, how troubling that news would have probably been initially to Mary. You know, we might think, not think about it. and We just blow right past that. But consider that, that Mary understood just how inconvenient God's grace can sometimes be. She was a virgin. By all accounts, it would have been absolutely impossible for her to become pregnant in, in any way, shape, or form. And so who was going to believe her story? Come on, Mary. Angel told you what? Really? That's what you're going to tell me? You want me to believe that? You see what she was going to be up against? She also knew that to become pregnant outside of being married when she was betrothed to her husband, it was to risk being ostracized from the community in which she lived. In fact, according to the law, by the letter of the law, she could have been stoned to death. Gabriel might have said that she was favored by God, blessed among women. But what about the people that she was going to have to tell this news to? Would they agree? What about, what about Joseph? You see, we know according to verse 27, she was betrothed to him. Probably up to this point in her young life, Mary had only really dreamed of having a, a nice little quiet, simple life married to this carpenter in this little town. That was her, was her goal. But now, this news that Gabriel had come and announced to her, that was going to risk all of that. Joseph would certainly know that he had not been with Mary. Why would he believe her story about how she became pregnant? Why would anyone believe her? Her pregnancy would prove to be scandalous. It actually proved to be scandalous all the days of Jesus' life. There were many who never believed her. One could theorize that God's grace given to Mary actually jeopardized her future. It would hurt those closest to her. And I think it would be very easy to say that it would be inconvenient to say the least. What we know is that Gabriel's announcement took her beyond anything that made sense to her, much less that fit into her plans for her life. So her first reaction, as we see, was in verse 29, she was troubled. My guess is that all of you in this room know what it's like to be troubled. Your trouble may not have come upon you because you've had some some angel come talk to you. 
It may not be because of some unplanned pregnancy, but you have experienced something that you did not want, you did not expect, you did not plan for. The question is, how do you move from a troubled, anxious heart how do, you, how do you take the next step? If you truly believe that God is sovereign and what, he, what is accomplished in your life is something that He has allowed to trickle through His hands into your life, how do you move from the anxiousness and the trouble of your heart to the next step? Well, let's consider what Mary does. Notice that, that after the angel Gabriel explains the miraculous nature of her conception and also informs her that her much older relative, her cousin, uh, Elizabeth, who, who was never able to, to conceive before this point, is now pregnant, and she's been pregnant for six months, and that because of that case, that's a testimony to her that with God, nothing is impossible. Notice that what, what, what Mary does is she moves from the anxiety of her troubled heart to accepting what the angel says. Verse 38 Mary says to Gabriel, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, please hear me. I don't think that that meant all of her questions were answered by this point. I don't think she had everything figured out. I don't think all of her anxiety was completely done away with at this stage. I think she has gotten to the point where she's willing to say, God, whatever you want to do with me, I belong to you. You are my, you are my sovereign creator and my, and my God. Do with my life as you desire. I want you to know that is a critical, critical first step. Each of us must come to the point where we recognize that we belong to God. He is the one who has made us, not we ourselves. We are the sheep of His pasture. We are His people. He is the one who is in control of our lives. Listen, if you are a Christian here today, then your confession is that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord. And therefore, by virtue of that confession, you are acknowledging His right to do with your life as He chooses. We know that He loves us. We know that He knows what's best for us. We know based upon our study from Psalm 23 that He leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. But we also know just what Psalm 23 teaches us. That sometimes His grace is inconvenient in that in our, from our perspective, He leads us through the deep, dark valleys. And yet we know that God is good. And we know that He loves us with a love that is unfathomable. And what I want you to know is that sometimes God's grace may seem inconvenient. And honesty compels us to admit that acceptance of what God has designed for us does not always produce joy in our lives. His plans are not always accompanied by wild enthusiasm. Obedience sometimes begins by simply saying, Okay, God, have it your way. Not my will, but thy will be done in my life. Sometimes that is the critical first step. Some of you may be facing that step right now. You need to move from the anxiety and the trouble to the point of accepting what God has brought into your path 
and to begin to move down that path with honesty and allowing God to be God. I'm inclined to believe that's how things started off with Mary. I believe that Gabriel showed her that her willingness to carry a baby that was not conceived with her husband Joseph was part of God's greatest plan for her life. She would give birth to the Savior of the world and Mary was willing to go along with God's plan. But from what we read up until this point, there is a definitive lack of excitement, we might say, on her part. One doesn't get that she was fully embraced, that she had fully embraced all of what had been disclosed for her. Yet. We come to verse 39. In verse 39, we read that Mary decided to go see her cousin Elizabeth. After all, that's who Gabriel had, had pointed to her as being an example of the fact that with God, nothing is impossible. And so Mary decides to go see Elizabeth. And when she did, something supernatural took place that I believe shook Mary and actually brought everything that the, the angel had announced into focus for her. As soon as Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, she is greeted in verse 42 by these words, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't. I, I'm betting that Mary didn't anticipate that to be the the response that she would have gotten from Elizabeth when she showed up there. I also bet she wasn't expecting this because Elizabeth goes out and says, "As soon as your words reached my ears, this baby within me began to leap and turn and do all kinds of somersaults." As one writer has put it, as soon as Mary arrives to her cousin's home, we don't get ten lords a-leaping, but we do get one baby a-bouncing. And all of a sudden, Mary got it. Suddenly she moved from feeling anxious and she moved past just accepting what was coming her way to a heart that is just filled with adoration to the point where she can't contain it anymore and it begins to burst out of her. And beginning in verse 46, she bursts into this song. We, we've been studying the Psalms. You'll notice that this, this in, your, in, your, in your Bibles, this is set up exactly the way a psalm is set up because that's exactly what it is. It's a song from her heart in which she sings praises to God. The burden that she had initially probably felt was going to be a tremendous burden on her is now a source of her greatest blessing. And she's come to a new perspective and a new understanding. And that brings me to the last point that I want you to see. As we work our way through this text, we, we come to this understanding of, of what we recognize from her life, and that is that simple trust, when it is accompanied by a proper attitude of humility, will bring joy that, that is beyond our imagination. Trust plus humility equals joy. Joy that is unspeakable. Many of you will be familiar with the fact that Mary's hymn of praise that Luke records for us there in, in, in those verses is, is referred to as the Magnificat. And the reason that is because that word magnifies. I mean, it's, it's, it's where it comes from. To magnify something means to make it big, to, to make large. Mary's desire is to make large, to make much of her God, who she says has done great things for her. What has He done? Well, she calls Him God my Savior. Mary wants to drive us to recognize that the first and foremost thing that God has done for her is He's brought her salvation. 
She knew that it was in the nature of God to reach down in His mercy and to lift up the humble to greatness. And she was the perfect example of that. And she knew it. She was a sinner. Which is why she praised God for being her Savior. She recognized that she was unworthy of God's grace, but, she, but He saw her in her lowly and undone condition. And, and even there, He did great things for her. He had put a child in her virgin womb, and in doing so, He had sent His Son to be her Savior and the Savior for the whole world. Listen, this is why all generations of people would call her blessed. It was because she had been blessed by the undeserved favor of a merciful God. So mark it well. Mary's song is not about self-worship. When she says, all the, the earth will call me blessed, it's not because there was something in her that was making them call her blessed. It was because of what God had done in her. That He had blessed her with the Son who would come and save the whole world. Mary is declaring her trust in the Lord. And with a proper attitude of humility, she is worshiping the saving, mighty, holy God who had done great things for her. Notice also in verse 50, Mary sings about God's nature and he says this, she says this, she makes clear that how God treated her is how he treats everybody. How God treated Mary is how he treats everybody. And you say, wait a minute, how is that possible? What she says is this, God's mercy abides toward those who fear Him and toward those who humble themselves before Him with reverence in their hearts. Anytime you come to the Lord with reverence and with awe and with respect and with, with, with a, a, a sense of deference to Him, you know what He does? He always lifts that up. But, the, but she sings about the other side as well. She says, God will scatter the proud-hearted he will put down those who swell up in pride. Her words confirm what is repeated throughout Scripture, that, namely that God casts down the, the proud. Those who are helpless, those who are humble, those who are hungry, God shows strength. God shows mercy. God shows grace to them. And what is crystal clear throughout Scripture is that those who humble themselves before Almighty God, He will exalt. But those who attempt to stand proud in their own works and in their own accomplishments, they will be brought low. See, through these words that Mary sang, it's obvious that she realized that the news that the angel Gabriel had announced to her, news about this baby that she was carrying in her womb, that she knew that that news was going to change everything. Everything for her, everything for the rest of the world as well. And she realized that the Lord was bringing about His plan to save her and to save the nations through this child. And even though she didn't know how that was going to be accomplished yet, the fact that it would be accomplished was no longer a question. And that realization caused her to sing, she trusted God and then she rejoiced. And then she moved from an anxious and troubled heart in verse 29 to an accepting heart in verse 38 to a rejoicing and adoring heart in verse 46 where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And then verse 49, and I love this. She says, for he who is mighty 
has done great things for me and holy is his name. Let me tell you something. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you realize that's your song too? Amen? That's your song. I don't know if you're singing it. I don't know if you've thought about it, but you need to sing it. You need to think about this. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. We ought to memorize that. and We ought to sing it to ourselves every single day and sing it to him. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Here's what I know. All of us here today find ourselves somewhere on this continuum that Mary's been on. You may not think about it, but hang on for just a second. All of us, are, all of us can identify with her somehow, some way. We're on this spiritual journey between anxiety and troubled heart to acceptance to adoration. And the truth is, sometimes we might find ourselves sort of moving back and forth between those points. But for us to truly get ourselves ready for Christmas, for us truly to prepare our hearts for the celebration of the birth of our Savior, we need to come to understand who Jesus is and why He came. And we need to wrestle with what His coming means for us. Yes, we want to talk about what His coming means for the entire world, but we're talking about preparing our own hearts. We need to wrestle with what it means for us. And that's, what, that's why I offer you this sermon in a sentence this morning. And it's this. Getting ready for Christmas necessitates recognizing your humble and needy condition, trusting in the grace-giving God with whom there are no impossibilities, and rejoicing in the salvation that the God-man Christ Jesus came to bring. Think about this with me. If you're going to prepare your heart for Christmas, you've got to come to grips with who you are in your state. You are needy and you are helpless and you absolutely must recognize that humble state in which you're in. You must also place your trust in the God who by His grace has sent the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no impossibilities. You have not outsend God. There is nothing that He cannot do. And He can save you right where you are. And then you must also rejoice in that salvation. You trust in who Christ is and what He came to do. And then, then that gets you ready. If that's not what you, if you've never done that, if, if you cannot truly say that those things are things that you've accomplished, unless you have properly evaluated yourself, if you've not properly evaluated God, unless you have come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not ready, really ready, for Christmas. I don't care how many decorations you have up and how many presents you have wrapped. But I want you to know all of that can change this morning. All of that can change. You see what it takes, what it takes is a humble heart before the Lord. What it takes is coming before God and placing your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus. And you can submit to His Lordship and you can commit your life to following Him. Those of you who are in this room today, when, I, when you leave and you exit, I'm going to be on this right side, my right, your left. Pastor Ted's going to be on... My left, you figure out what side that's going to be for you. You're smart people. You'll know what to do. But as you leave today, know that, know that we care. We want you to be ready for Christmas. And we want you to be able to truly be able to celebrate Christmas. Celebrate the Christ of Christmas who has come to offer you life and life everlasting. 
Come and stop and talk to us. Maybe you're worshiping with us online and you're like, well, I'm not there in the room. They're going to put a phone number up. Call that number. Your message will be transcribed, sent to us. One of us will be back in touch with you. We'll either talk with you on the phone or we'll find a time where we can meet with you. Our desire is that you would be ready for Christmas. I hope that you will do that today. I hope that you will consider that. As we, uh, we conclude this morning, I just want you to think one more time about Mary. You see, Gabriel has told her that the baby that she carries in her womb will become a king. And I can only imagine that in her mind, a king would be one who sat on a grandiose throne and would have all kinds of honor and glory in this world. You'll notice that Gabriel did not reveal to Mary the path to kingship that her son would take. In Gabriel's birth announcement, there's no discussion of the cross here. Mary doesn't yet know that the path to kingship goes through Calvary. But we have the rest of the Scriptures that tell us that. And in light of that, I want you to consider all the difficulties that Mary would have experienced. Seeing her son do things that she never expected. Miracles that she couldn't explain. Things that she couldn't understand. She also watched as he, as he grew up, was maligned. He was mistreated. Hated by those that, that of his own, his own family and even those of his own entire nation. And finally, she watched as those Roman soldiers pounded those nails into her son's hands and into his feet. And they lifted up his naked, beaten, bloody body as a display of shame and reproach. Mary saw every bit of that. And what is absolutely true is what the angel Gabriel said. Mary found favor with God. But understand this, finding favor with God does not always lead to an easy life. It didn't lead to an easy life for Mary. It will not necessarily lead to an easy life for you or for me. But here's something that was absolutely true for Mary. With her statement there in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That statement held true when she understood what God was doing and it held true when she did not understand what God was doing. And I want you to know it's the same with you and for me. Brothers and sisters, you and I, like Mary, must learn to always live a life of humility, a life of acknowledging who God is, a life that seeks to emulate the life that Christ lived, and a life that rejoices in God your Savior, even, even as He may upset the plans that you have for your own life, and even as He leads you through a time of suffering. Listen, He has looked upon us in our lowly estates, and the Mighty One has done great things for us. And holy is His name. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. And it is for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Jesus, whose birth we celebrate at this time of year but whose salvation we celebrate every single minute of every single day of our lives. And so I pray, specifically for the one or others who may be in this room who 
are not really spiritually and emotionally and ready for Christmas this year, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them, that you might move in their hearts, prepare them, and help them to be able to recognize you for who you truly are. For the rest of us who, who have trusted you, God, help us to recognize that you are still the God that leads us even through the dark moments where we find ourselves right now. Maybe when we don't have the answers, we still recognize that you're a God that loves us. And we can trust you. And holy is your name. I pray these things in Christ's holy name.